be bold and be brave and just go for it. As photographers, we are always looking for powerful images that, that will hold time in place, that will draw people in and symbolize something universal, something shared, something emotional. Everybody needs to see what's going on everywhere. Pictures just stand out. This is how we remember. Insights, kits, and the conversations that matter with the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. Hello and welcome to Shutter Stories with me, your host, Lucy Hedges. Now, it's been almost a year since our worlds were turned upside down and we released an episode on the pressures of filming during lockdown. But a lot has changed since then with remote working now very much a firm part of and a fact of life in the film industry. Now, the last few months have forced filmmakers and videographers at all levels of their industry to find ingenious new techniques and workarounds to keep their production moving in the face of lockdown and necessary restrictions. And although it's been a difficult period, it's also been a time for innovation and thinking outside of the box that could very well have a lasting impact on the film industry. Now, both of our guests today faced tough situations, but have managed to turn them to their advantage. So we'll be talking about that and we'll be discussing what's happening in the wider industry as well. So joining us from LA, we've got Alan Griswold, a director of photography and owner of the Monkey Deux production company, which produces the popular R Star Wars story series for Lucasfilm and Disney. Now, when the pandemic hit, he came up with a rather clever workaround that allowed them to continue making the series from home without compromising on quality. And our other guest, Richard DaCosta, is a Bristol-based filmmaker who has made productions for Netflix and the BBC, including the diving documentary Last Breath. Now, since the pandemic, however, Richard has been specialising in virtual events, recently working with Wildlife Film Festival Wildscreen to produce a week-long virtual event that featured interviews with huge, huge names like director James Cameron, Sir David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg. So how is that for a couple of impressive CVs. So first things first, welcome to the show, guys. Hi, thanks for having us. Great to be here. Thanks. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, so I'm going to dive straight in. You've got so much ground to cover. Um, so I want to start off by talking just how big would you say the changes have been to the film industry since the start of the pandemic? Alan, do you want to start? Sure. Well, you know, in some ways, in terms of production, I think it's been it's been massive. Um, one of the biggest uh, things about film and video production is just the sheer number of people that are involved, generally speaking, in making any of it happen. Mm -hmm. And we're talking people in close quarters. We're talking dozens, if not hundreds, depending on the size of the production. And when all of a sudden you're faced with the idea that people, you know, can't be together, um, it was a, it was a massive, massive uh, shakeup of that, of that yeah, industry. Of course. Um, then also in terms of the sort of broader landscape of the industry, you see what I, I wouldn't credit the pandemic necessarily with with the event entirely, but you're seeing I think what the pandemic did was sort of hasten the dominance of these streaming platforms, which in and of itself has had a you know huge and rippling effect on both amount of content and uh, type of content, and then uh, you know a, a third thing would be you know how people consume that content. Mm -hmm. What about you, Richard? 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, kind of the rug was pulled out from everybody, wasn't it, really, uh, uh, under our feet. And yeah. whatever industry you're in, um, my background originally is in theatre, you know, and, and I think film has probably fared a little better than uh, than some of the live kind of industries, fully live industries. But we also film a lot of live stuff as part of the mix of what we do. And we do work internationally as well. Obviously, that was all suddenly decimated. So I don't think massive is big enough a word, really, for, uh, for describing... <laughs> yeah the impact that it had certainly in the first few months when everyone was kind of shell-shocked and everything was being pulled and we were all working out how the hell are we going to survive. It was kind of crazy, wasn't it? Everyone was kind of thrown, like you said, a curveball was thrown our way. It's kind of panic moment mode for a bit at the beginning, but I think you had to kind of, once that was over, once you'd got over the stress of what was happening, it was time to then think a bit mm. more clearly, a bit more laterally about how you're now going to approach your work. So based on that, have you got any examples um, of how things have changed? Um, they've changed completely, I think. When when it first hit, our international stuff stuff came to a stop and we were stuck here in the studio trying to trying to figure out how we were going to do anything at all, really. And I think um, what came out of that was the kind of virtual, remote, hybrid, um, certainly for the live stuff that we do. And then for the kind of traditional productions, it was how could you be creative and find new ways of doing it? You know, so we were doing work. We continued with work last year. Some of the non-live stuff we had, we were supposed to do a film that was set on a you know a post post rail accident, and suddenly we couldn't get access to any of the locations, and we had to kind of do that as if it was away from the scene, and actually became, you know, in some ways a more interesting scene as a result. But uh, the challenge of it all was uh, was was hugely stressful. And then from the from the live production point of view, this you know the fact that we're all sort of doing things through a screen now has meant that we are having completely different relationships. But yeah, absolutely. I think one of the mistakes that people made at the beginning was to try and replicate what was already there, whereas actually some in some ways new forms have developed as a result. I think, and the audience experience has evolved with along with it. Well, like you say, it's a completely new diff it's a completely new way of working, isn't it? So to kind of follow old models isn't really going to work. So you had to adapt and recalibrate in order to to appease and meet the new audience expectations, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think the adapting is a part of it. How do you work when people are in different spaces? I think that's the first question, isn't it? How do you actually get people together? And um, I think we've all become very used to it now. It's easy to forget how kind of strange that was when it first started. Um, you know, certainly, you know, a lot of people running events were thinking, is our event even possible? So yeah. I think certainly, certainly in the beginning, we were doing webinars and things for people, but, uh, but they were all done in, in, in studio and just stream streamed live doing them doing them down the line it wasn't completely new but but I think for most of our customers certainly it was it was a new thing a new thing to even consider so now almost you know pretty much a year later do you kind of look back and think whoa we have come a long way we've, we've achieved so much from how you were a year ago when you were not quite sure what what was happening uh yeah 100 percent 100 percent it's um and, and and the big questions now is where is it going next of course so now I'd like to find out a bit um, more about both of your stories. Now, Alan, your company produces the fantastic Our Star Wars story for Lucasfilm and Disney. So can you um, just tell us a little bit about the show before the pandemic and then how you broached the show and what everything that surrounded it after the pandemic? Sure. Uh, Our Star Wars story is one of my favorite projects that we work on. Yeah. Um, not only because of the content and the people we get to meet, um, but it was, it's, it's a, originally it was a road show. So, it was a small crew and it was always a big challenge um, to, to 
get as much production value as we did. But it was me, uh, a camera assist, sound person, and uh, another DP, John Litzio, that I work with. Um, and we'd get in a van with uh, a, a ton of gear and drive around from city to city and sometimes fly from city to city to go to these people's houses and we'd have you know one day to shoot these episodes. Mm. But um, it was a very sort of down and dirty production. We shot three or four cameras, um, had to shoot B-roll at this on the same day. Mm. It was it was an insane uh, roadshow and we it was it was one of those really exciting um, things where everybody had multiple jobs to do and um, and then it just came to a grinding halt. Um, our we shot the first season, um, we shot, I think, five episodes. Yeah. Um, and then the second season was slated for uh, for 12. And we finished our third of the in-person normal um, productions. Um, I think I flew back to Los Angeles on March 4th. And yeah, we got the, we got the call, I don't know, less than a week later that we were, we were dead in the water. Um, that must have been a pretty horrible day. It was, yeah. you know, because everything else, you know, that we had been working on was also uh, put on hold. We do um, we do a lot of behind the scenes shooting for uh, uh, theatrical films mm. and, uh, and network TV shows as well. And all of that production just came to a complete halt. Oh, my overnight. gosh. Yeah. So how quickly then did you regroup, get back together and decide how you were going to then take things on forward from them? Sure. Well, it was... Um, it was a couple of months where we had just, at first it was, you know, we're going to wait and see. We thought, you know, maybe this will be over you know, in a month, a couple of weeks. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think a lot of us did that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and every time that, uh, that sort of, um, that line got pushed further and further in the future, uh, it became more and more, uh, likely that we simply wouldn't get, uh, mm. get going again. And then I believe it was, it was, uh, June when I got a call from John Harper saying, you know, what do you think about the possibility of turning this into a remote show? And is that something you'd yeah. even want to be a part of? Cause I'd always been a proponent of, uh, getting as much production value in a, in a cinematic look to the show as possible. And, I think his concern was it would just be something that, you know, uh, whether I'd, I'd be too aesthetically snobbish to, <laughs> to want to do um, these Zoom things. And and on the one hand, you know, if it was just going to be you know, these sort of Zoom virtual sort of uh, webinar interview type things, the content would have worked. Um, but the challenge was how do we bring that, uh, you know, it's, again, like, like Richard was saying, the to mimic what we had before and sort of fake it, I think was was uh, was a direction we definitely wanted to avoid. We wanted to embrace the the fact that this was um, this was something entirely new, yeah. and that was the sort of impetus for developing the 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 kits that we sent out and the, and the workflow and the, the type of production we ended up. With. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about your kits later. I'm actually super intrigued um, to hear about that. So mm -hmm. these changes that you made, how quickly, how quickly were these implemented? Was it kind of a slow, gradual process or did you kind of turn it around over a space of a week or something? Um, it was, uh, I had about six weeks of research and development to, to develop, you know, the, the most sort of foolproof, 
which is a, a foolish thing to say. I realize <laughs> now too. <laughs> literally every every remote uh, shoot we we've done, um, there's been something yeah. you know that that comes up, and I'm sure you're both familiar with that. So I had about six weeks to to put together, you know, how we were going to actually pull this off. Um, and a lot of it was testing, you know, different, different gear. And then to be honest, the more than the, the gear, the computer, the, the cameras and whatnot was, you know, how do we miniaturize it in such a way that we can ship these things as far afield as, you know, Malaysia, um, to, uh, to get these things Mm -hmm. done. So I'd say overall about six weeks before we were shooting, um, the first uh, remote episode. So in the grand scheme of things, it's still quite a, quite a quick turnaround in terms of, you know, you're not, you, like you said, you didn't want to mimic the production that you already had. You wanted to create something new, embrace this new format, and you turned it around in six weeks. I think that's awesome. It's, it's, it's taking me back, actually, listening to you say, oh, the shock. You've, it's easy to block out. It's like having children, isn't it? You kind of forget, <laughs> you, you forget the, the nasty bits and the pain. And actually, it was oh, complete shell shock and just sitting in an office thinking, what the hell are we going to do, you know? <laughs> and how can we solve these kind of problems that we've never had before, you know, where we can't even be in the same exactly. space, in the same... Yeah room as each other it was uh, it was horrible <laughs> it was horrible yeah we were also learning more and more <laughs> about this um this virus too so you know the idea of you know can anything we touch go to somebody mm, mm, you know mm. so yes uh, there was so many different things that really you just never thought of before i mean we washed our hands before but you know we didn't sanitize <laughs> you know our stands <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. I had a few bits of kit sent my way and the guy's like, Lucy, just so you know, you know, we've sanitized everything. It's not been touched. We've left it in a room for this long and you're, right. we're sending it your way. And I'm kind of like, okay. But, you know, this is what we needed to do. But especially at the beginning, it felt a bit silly, but obviously it was very necessary sure. for everyone involved to be as safe as possible. But it's funny how we've now adapted to that and it's now just quite normal. I did a shoot last week and the guy was just, you know, sanitizing the microphone. It's all just normal now. Right. <laughs> Um, so Richard, I want to move on to you um, and Wild Screen. Um, so this is a wildlife film festival that mm. took place this year entirely online, mm. um, as, as did a lot of festivals. Um, can you tell us a bit about what you call hybrid filmmaking um, and how you went about creating this virtual event? Yeah, of course. So there's, I mean, there's different, there's different ways of looking at hybrid. There's hybrid on the production side, and then there's hybrid on the audience side. And I think 2021 is going to be all about hybrid on the audience side and how we bring audiences in some small way back to events. But, uh, but hybrid yeah. from a production point of view can be anything from, uh, you know, fully remote. Um, uh, well, I'm, the, obviously it's not hybrid, but it's, uh, it, it, it's definitely part of this new format or form, um, you know, to having some people in person, some people remote, or, you know, it can encompass pre-records that are broadcast as live or partial pre-records. And it's a whole kind of gamut of new ways of approaching things that can produce a live event that gives the audience an experience that, you know, that we aspire to make as engaging and uh, immediate and um, interesting as as possible. So, yeah. um, you know, it's... It's it 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 opens up possibilities and it also has obstacles that you need to overcome. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the benefits then of of approaching production from a hybrid filmmaking point of view? Well, 
Is it kind of efficiency, ease of use? Because I know if you're doing something completely live and remote, yeah. everyone's bum cheeks are probably clenched to the entire thing on edge just in case <laughs> something goes wrong. But I guess doing it this way, kind of, does it make it easier on your end? Um, no, it's much, much harder, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think because you have all the problems that you would have. At, uh, you know, you've got all the problems of all the various types of production rolled into one, really. So there's a lot to go wrong. There's a lot of moving parts. And I think getting your head around that and mm. working out how you exploit the benefits and and mitigate the pitfalls i think is that's the real challenge to to making it successful wild screen you know is a, is a good example because it was a week long uh it was a week long event at a time when people didn't really know what hybrid was or you know how how things were going to work and and whether it was going to be possible so at the start of it we'd been talking to wild screen because we'd done filming with them on previous occasions uh, about the event and then it all went very quiet whilst we were trying to work out and continue with some of the work we were doing uh, and mm. uh, and they went quiet where they thought oh, how how is this all gonna you know is this even gonna happen um, and the the kind of decisions were made that we would do quite a lot of pre-recorded content and that we would have a mix of live and pre-recorded content uh, we we were sort of discussed locations and we're based uh, we're based on a big old uh, Dutch barge uh, in the harbour in Bristol and uh, in the end we thought well we'll keep it all here we'll have a, a live presenter for the week which was a really critical factor mm -hmm. to making it feel immediate and being a conduit between the audience and the uh, uh, and the and the content um, and we'll have uh, we'll have we'll bring people here when we can which um, you know as we've already touched on was very strange at that time you know what can you touch where can you be all that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah. to get your head round um, and the benefit from a benefits point of view I mean there were there were massive benefits in access to contributors um, you yeah. know where where there was a huge uplift i would say i mean wild screens always attracted good contributors but but you know this year was or sorry last year now wasn't it was uh, was, was certainly surpassed um kind of any previous uh, iterations um you know there's massive massive environmental uh benefits uh, and for a it's not just a, a a wildlife filmmaking festival it's a conservation festival as well so that's you know uh, that's actually accelerated something that all organizations yeah. should be thinking about, but particularly organizations that are in that field. Um, you know, for the audience, the barrier to entry is, is, is lowered. So, you know, I mean, it's a festival that in previous years, you might have 800 people of which, uh, you know, filmmakers of which, you know, a large, large proportion of them would be flying in from abroad. Uh, last year we had, two and a half thousand over two and a half thousand people you know it's a big wow. decision if you're going to come from yeah uh, alaska or los angeles or india or wherever you know to, to come here that's a, a big big commitment but to be able to get access to that content for the price of a day ticket you know is it was was a massive uh, lowering of the barrier to entry yeah absolutely so yeah i mean so some fantastic things that came out of it and and uh, great that they sort of set their sights high in terms of the production values because uh, another thing that I think is uh, we've all become used to watching crap really, in terms of from a quality <laughs> point of view. It's amazing. Even on even on the kind of major broadcasting 
channels yes. how the standards have dropped it's like going from 4k to sd you know in terms of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have become very forgiving haven't we yeah we have and you know a content may be king but you know it's got to be good hasn't it you know <laughs> <laughs> You've oh, got to, yes. and, and and I think you know that's why I really admire that you know you sending out these kits, um, uh, for example, you know um, because you obviously have a, a a a huge, you place a huge importance on the production values, and I think that is the the key to kind of making this these new formats really worth pursuing beyond the pandemic. I think quality has to play a big part of that. Sure, but I, I you know I would also say you know I, that. The, the fact that we have sort of forgiven some of the uh, uh, compromises we've had to make in, in cinematic quality uh, adds an extra emphasis on the quality of the stories, the content itself. And mm-hmm, I, think, mm-hmm. I think that's something that's actually been, um, been kind of nice because, you know, seeing if you're going to watch somebody who's, you know, on a crappy webcam, uh, you know, in their living room, talk about something, you know, what they're saying has to be, you know, worth listening to, as opposed to, you know, you can't get sort of taken aback by this, you know, really nice boom or jib shot of, you know, the sweeping, you know, cinematic uh, uh, visual experience, you know, where you're possibly more likely to forgive the fact that what they're saying is, is, uh, trite or um or simply uninteresting Mm. that's a that's a great point that is it yeah that is a great point and i think you know one thing that people certainly in events i think get forgiven in live events they sort of think oh well it doesn't matter if something's a bit shoddy because you know you don't see it kind of etched on a screen you know i've I've been saying to people since the beginning you know you're competing with netflix Mm -hmm. you know that's what you're that's what you're doing and uh, but I think you're absolutely right. The quality uh, uh, is is critical if you're going to stop somebody from switching off because it is that easy, isn't it? Right. You know, you haven't got people trapped in a room, um, and you haven't got the kind of pretties of the you know jib shots as you mentioned, mm-hmm. or you know all these things to kind of you know you haven't you haven't got that tinsel necessarily. There are things you can do to make it look nicer, and I do think that that's important. Absolutely, you know, like trying get the best audio quality you can, these, these sorts of things, you know, getting people to record. We don't send out kits so much because a lot of it is, you know, we have a, you know, sometimes it's like for Wildscreen, for example, it was a high volume of contributors mm-hmm. and it would have been very impractical, but we mm-hmm. got everybody to record locally on their phones for any pre-records and, and replace the audio because then you're mitigating that compression down the line right. to some extent, to some extent. So you do what you can, right? You adapt to each situation. You say, well, how can we get the best out of the... Uh, the the hand of cards that we've been dealt really and how can we uh, how can we deliver this program how can we tell this story in the best possible way for that audience to make it an efficient interesting and engaging experience exactly yeah. yes so when you both had you know this realization given how fast things were changing in the industry did you feel out of your comfort zone at any point oh sure uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh i think i think that um Anybody who was in their comfort zone during this time is a sociopath. Um, (laughs) I mean, I I may regret saying that to a group of people that's being recorded, but, um, but no, it was, uh, you know, this, you know, there was no, there was nothing normal about it. And Mm -hmm. on the one hand that was, uh, it was terrifying. I mean, we were both, we were all terrified for, you know, our health, our lives. 
um, the health and lives of our, our companies and the people yeah. that rely yeah. on us. Um, yeah. But there is something exhilarating about that. I mean, I've always, um, I've always liked being innovative. I mean, our company, uh, you know, we, we started doing DVD special features um, and we were one of the first companies to sort of switch over from the, you know, the big cameras to, to shooting on the, you know, the 5d once that, uh, uh that video. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so we were shooting this, um, it, it was such a huge challenge at the time to do that with like the extremely shallow depth of field. And when you're doing documentary mm-hmm. type work, you know, you don't have retakes. Um, and you know, we had a lot of camera operators really grumble about, about that. Um, yeah. but you know, the, the challenge of it, um, was exciting. And I think with this, um, complete upheaval, um, you know, I, I, I became proficient in stuff that I never wanted to be. First of all, like I, I would much rather not, you know, do things remotely in, in many ways, but, um, that upheaval, you know, that produces problems, uh, was, was also super engaging. And that was something that I particularly appreciated midsummer 2020 because we had just gone through the novelty of being, you know, in lockdown for a couple of months and, mm-hmm. you know, learning how to sew and make, you know, uh, sourdough bread and all of yeah. those things. And we're starting to, you know, be like those animals in the, the zoo cages that are too small and pacing back and forth in our own spaces. <laughs> so having this as a really meaty problem to engage in, you know, physically, mentally, uh, was a lifesaver, you know, yeah, even beyond, yeah. you know, the, the ability to, to achieve these goals, you know. And like you said, you know, some positives to come out of this is that you're learning things or you've learned things and bits of tech or procedures that you would, might not necessarily have ventured and ventured down, I think. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Which is, which is all good for the future. You know, these are now tools that we have, um, to, that we can use. Um, I mean, oftentimes when we do, uh, you know, our company also does uh, documentary work, which we self finance. So if, if all of a sudden there's, you know, someone in another country or where, where travel costs are prohibitive, we have the ability to, to send, um, a, a kit there and, uh, talk them through setting it up and remotely record somebody that, uh, you know, not only does that have a financial benefit, but, you know, like Richard was talking about too, there's also the environmental um, issues of not, yeah. you know, being on the road or, or flying everywhere. So, yeah, yeah. So I was still in the realm of discussing our comfort zones. <laughs> um, mm. Richard, what about you? How, how did you feel in terms of being in or out of your comfort zone when all this kicked off? I think, um, you know, I think we're all kind of, if you're a filmmaker, you kind of, part of you loves problem solving, part of you loves doing something new, part of you loves discovering, you know, how to achieve something. That is part of the nature of filmmaking in, in, in any circumstances. But this was forced upon us in a way that was so extreme um, that it was, I, I would say the, the comfort zones were, yeah, out the window, really. You know, it was very, very long hours. Everything took longer, yeah. didn't it, when we yes, first were did. trying to work it out. Every, yeah. Doing simple things. It's just like, why is this taking so long? You know, um, and I, I think uh, so... You know, I just remember being very, very tired. I mean, we were talking about wild screen earlier. I, I, I didn't go home from work for. Uh, I went home four nights in six weeks. Um, 
you know, in the, in the run up to that and, 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 and the week of it, you know, and that was just from doing literally 18 plus hour days straight for, for all that time. And it's just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm guessing, you know, we all, we all work fairly hard, but that was just ridiculous even for me. And I started to sort of question <laughs> my own sanity for even, you know, for even getting involved with that. So the, the acquisition side of it, it was the, the real challenge, you know, how do you get people into these programs? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, we have now got some tools. I think that's a great point about documentaries in the future. I think, you know, being able to, being able to get hold of people and particularly, particularly if you can do that at a, at a high quality by whatever means, whether it's by having a crew locally or by sending kit out, I think does open up massive, massive possibilities that we wouldn't have dreamt of before. And I think going forwards, the question won't be, shall we do it remotely? It, it might be in certain circumstances, why would you do this in person? You know, I think yeah, it's come, I think it, it it has come that far and will go that far. And if you can if you can find solutions to getting the production values high as well, uh, you know, and you've got great content, then I think we could see some really really phenomenal stuff being made that wouldn't have otherwise been made were it not for the situation we've all found ourselves in. Definitely. So, Alan, we discussed that you've gone from roadshow to virtual show. So I want to know, was it more or less expensive making our Star Wars story with the new method? And what exactly did it entail? You know, so kit wise and the time involved. Well, from a production standpoint, it was uh, I, I think it was actually quite a bit less expensive. I mean, when you have a roadshow, unfortunately, there's a lot that you're spending that doesn't end up on the screen. Yeah. You know, there's the plane tickets or, you know, hotel rooms and all that stuff. Um, so to some degree, like you get more, uh, on screen, uh, value for your dollar mm -hmm. doing the remote stuff for sure. You've mentioned packs and I said, we would come back to this. So you actually created these packs that you sent out to people in order for them to have as stress-free a streaming, um, solution as possible. So can you just tell us a bit about, you know, what the packs entailed, how you chose what kit went in, um, and why you chose the specific kit that you sent out? Sure. So there were, there were two competing, um, mandates. One was we needed to make sure that these were, you know, from a production standpoint, as solid as possible so that we could be, we could rely on them working. Yes. Um, and the whole system working as best as it could. And then the other factor was um, ease of use. One of the big, the biggest things is I needed as much control over the camera remotely as possible. Yes. Um, and, you know, ultimately it was the uh, EOS utility that um, which I had used for tethered shooting um, for stills before they gave me that that kind of control so then it basically I sort of worked back from okay this is what's going to be in the room with somebody yeah and how do I rather than sort of approach it as you know what's the right gear to do this it's you put the gear in the room and say okay how do I replace myself yeah. you know um, mm. because I'm the one who can't be there anything else can get there uh, so as we were developing these kits that we we're going to send out into the field, um, and before we had settled on the Canon EOS R, we had tried a number of different camera systems, and um, and ultimately it became about you know what was going to be the most reliable uh, as well as the highest quality, and where the Canon EOS R and Canon Utility um, ended up 
winning was that we had the most control over a high quality camera. The other camera systems that we tested, either you know the menu systems were too complex or the software interface didn't give me the amount of control over the camera settings mm-hmm. as as I felt I needed, you know, to to operate remotely in the field. I guess it's just one less thing to worry about as well when you're au fait with the kit and you know what you're doing with the software. It's just one less thing to tick off your list. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and you have to, um, going into this, my, you know, coming up with, okay, this is what I want to use and this is what's going to work um, was relatively easy. The next step for developing these things was, okay, what are all the things that can possibly go wrong and how can I fix these things remotely or how can I adjust the the kit or the package that's going out in such a way to minimize the chances of that happening. And that's where you get into compromises. You know, it would have been great to send out, you know, two laptops, two ESRs, you know, two sets of of everything. Yeah. Um, Mm. But it becomes prohibitive. Um, And and ultimately what we ended up with was a was a a a fairly simple um, setup. You know, the EOS R plugged into a, a laptop. Um, we had these these uh, remote phosphor, um, you know, one foot uh, lights that BBNS makes, uh, which were daylight balanced. So I knew exactly what the, you know, what color the light was going to be wherever these things were. Mm-hmm. Um, and to up the quality, we sent out the you know the Atomos uh, Ninja V recorders. Um, to get the 10 bit, um, uh, color space from the recording. Um, and so all of the, anything that we added to the package added to the complexity of setup and the number of things that could possibly go wrong, you know? (laughs) And, and so it was a very delicate balance of what you add and you had to really think about, you know, what is the, what is the time effort and unpredictability cost that this is adding into into the yeah, whole absolutely. So once you've got this kit together, these awesome kit bags, and you send it to you know people getting involved and participants, what was it like then dealing with that side of things? Because I imagine maybe I maybe I'm assuming um, that not everyone is as au fait with the tech as you were. Was it easy to get them set up? Were there big obstacles? Tell me a bit about that. Sure, uh, you know that was that was one of the biggest challenges is not being there to set stuff up <laughs> yeah. or or to be there to you know. When something's not working, I mean, that's one of the things you do on set, you know, something, you know, make sure all the cables are plugged in. So, so what we would do is we'd send these kits out and then the day before the interview, I'd schedule time with, um, with the subjects that, uh, you know, that we'd sit there and set things up. Um, and like you said, there were some people who, um, you know, had a lot of technical background, uh, one of our, our, uh, guests on the show actually piloted or pilots the Mars Rover, you know, for, for NASA. Wow. And, yeah. and yet at the same time, that's a different set of skills than, you know, setting up an interview using cameras and, <laughs> and lighting. So, yeah. and then other people had literally no experience with it. So the setup time ranged from, you know, 45 minutes to, to two hours. Um, and what I do is the day before I'd have, um, I had a duplicate kit in my office I'd set up a Zoom meeting with the the person. I'd have two cameras set up so that I had, I literally build the kit with them. Um, So we'd be pulling the exact same piece of equipment out of the, out of the kit and I'd show them how to put it together. And um, 
what was what was good about that is I actually not only you know, witnessed how they were putting it together and was able to show them, but it also established um, a rapport with the subject and and I think in yeah. many ways put them more at ease. Um, and yeah, there was a, there was, was a big sense of accomplishment too. too. Like mm. when people actually set this thing up themselves, regardless of how much you know uh, I, I'm walking them through it. You know, ultimately in the end, they have been part of a camera crew. And uh, I think for most of them, it was uh, it was even a fun process. You're a brave man. You're a brave man. <laughs> <laughs> even if you are a psychopath. All of that said, you know, I had I did have one person who insisted that there was no on-off switch on the camera, even though I'm like literally holding it up. I'm yeah. like, this is the same camera. It's like, yeah, you know. So so there were there were certainly those moments. People who told me like, no, I don't have that cable and. You know, uh, you talking someone through these things at, or the, you know, then you're also dealing with internet connection and all that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, there was, like I said, the, the setup time was actually, you know, very, fairly relaxing. Um, and I got to the point, you know, after a dozen of these where, you know, um, I could have done it with my eyes closed. Yeah, I bet. Um, but, uh, but it was the shoot days that were, that were particularly stressful because even every time you test something the day before and it works perfectly, you know, all of a sudden you've got a dozen people on the line listening to an interview. And, and we had two of these at the same time because we had our host was also on camera. So I'm operating both cameras remotely mm -hmm. from my office. And, you know, so the exponential number of, of, of issues, uh, was, was completely nerve wracking. Yeah, you, you've got to have the buy-in of the contributor, right, as well, because if, you know, you, you rely on them having the same uh, hopes yes. <laughs> for, the, for the kind of level that you're trying to reach as you. So you've got to get them on board with that because people have got used to doing stuff on Zoom. So it's like, for sure. well, why can't we just do this on Zoom? Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, Without appreciating uh, one the production of the value. Yeah. Oh, and one of the biggest challenges I found uh, throughout the entire process, and I don't think I ever got any better at this, was when you're mirrored on these things and you tell someone in, you know, to move it to the left or pan, left right, or right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the opposite. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. never got that's any still, better. It is. That's still and different setups there as well. Yeah. So, you, yeah. <laughs> so when you first started doing these remote recordings, were there any iron, were there any creases you needed to iron out or did you, you know, you, you practiced, you had your fail safe methods in place, contingency plans. Yeah. Did you have to iron anything out? Yeah. We had one, we had one test oh, before, one. We, yeah, um, I, you know, I had done a bunch of tests, you know, in the office, which is a very mm. controlled environment. Um, but we had, we literally had one test, uh, before we did the first one and, uh, the test went well. Um, there was a couple of things we tweaked, you know, in terms of setup. Um, and then the very first episode we shot went flawlessly and we thought this is yeah. it. We've, we've got it. And then everyone after that is where <laughs> the issues popped up. So we, we did get a little, I think uh, I, we probably all got a little cocky about, you know, uh, how yeah, well the yeah. first one easy went. Easy to do though, <laughs> so easy to do, especially with all the work that you'd put yeah. into it and the thought process. Yeah. Um, but yeah, each one of the, each shoot, we, we rarely had the same issue twice, mm -hmm. which was good in, in that we were able to, you know, plug each hole as they, as they formed in the, you know, in the foundation. But uh, it was it was astounding how many new ones would pop up, you know, everything from Absolutely. a setting, a setting in the camera. Um, that's the one thing that EOS utility 
was not able to do is you can't switch from movie uh-huh. to uh, still or still to movie mode. So if someone accidentally switched those modes, you had to talk them through the menus on that. Um, but then, you know, then you're also dealing with internet connections, internet speeds and all that. So, which is why, you know, recording locally yeah. was, was huge, you know, so you don't have the, you know, the choppiness yeah. because like Malaysia was, uh, was sort of a nightmare for the, um, internet yeah. connectivity aspect of it. But you're so right. The, no, just the amazing, it's just what you, what you said, just it's brought flashbacks really of when you say it's amazing <laughs> how many different things can, you know, how many holes there are to plug and how everyone's yeah. different, you know, and, you know, just one of the one of the first things we did was is just reminded me was with some rally drivers from the eighties. We did a series uh, with them as remote contributors. So these are all old guys, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and who who some of whom barely barely we you know were were kind of au fait with with computers, let alone sort of making a remote program. And, <laughs> you know, and you suddenly realise what's this problem with the audio? Oh, okay, you've got a hearing aid. All right, okay. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, the technical challenge has been has been like nothing I've seen before. I think, and it's that's. Uh, I think doing it with the with the remote camera control, I think, is both brilliant and insane. Um, because <laughs> yeah. you know, getting someone to operate a webcam, you know, and to just get to a position where it looks decent is 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 a good thing. And although you've got the capability with your setup to get something cinematic and beautiful, the kind of potential pitfalls are huge. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. And I guess it's. Yeah quite frustrating as well when you think you are like you said plugged all the holes and you think we're not gonna we've maybe nailed all the issues and then something else just comes along and you're like ah oh, something else something new yeah yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes there's just a ghost yes. in the machine where everything mm-hmm. is correct but somehow isn't working and those are the those are the ones that that kind of haunt you <laughs> yes. um, audio was was far i think far more difficult uh, a challenge because as any you know uh cinematographer you know would probably agree with like your your first you want everything to look good and the sound unfortunately um is is often you know plays second fiddle and finding a way to you know monitor the sound while you're dealing with all this other stuff was was an ongoing issue i mean we had people plug in the you know the mic the the love uh input into the output jack and all of that so you'd see the levels on it but you're not hearing it properly. It was, uh, those are things that kept me up at night uh, for literally three months. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So do you have people looking down the lens uh, in, in your s- setup there, Alan? No, so it was important for for Lucasfilm to, to sort of lean into the fact that we are doing this remotely. So um, one of the big complicating factors was they wanted an over-the-shoulder shot so that mm. our main camera was looking at the uh, at the subject. The subject was looking at um, the host on the laptop in front of okay. them, and so it became like you know how do you how do you make this look right? Again, like if it was just one shot, it, mm. that that solves a lot of problems in and of itself. Um, but the actual setup had to have an aesthetic elegance to it, and you know positioning the laptop. You know, those are the things like, how do you get the laptop, you know, nine inches off the table so that, you know, people aren't looking down, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. with your A camera behind them. Um, what so, other books have you got? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and what's, what, is, what, what other things do you have that are licensable for uh, Disney and Lucasfilm? Yeah. 
if they're going to be in a shot. <laughs> um, Rich, I want to talk about the practicalities um, of your hybrid filming of wide, um, wild screen. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but I just want to talk a bit more in depth about how did it work and what kind of experience it created for the viewer. Yeah. Um, well, I just kind of, I'm so kind of, uh, <laughs> Alan's brought back so many memories of, uh, uh, of things there. It's just, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's really, it's really <laughs> literally given me flashbacks, but, um, the, the practicalities are, I mean, let, let's just pick up on some of that stuff, just getting the contributor to get themselves looking good. And I think you're absolutely right, Alan, you know, that get that preparation side of it and getting mm -hmm. people's buy-in to give that time to the preparation. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes, I mean, we've got it down to sort of very short times with some people and people are getting more used to it now, but you know, people have to be prepared to give you at least an hour and it, and it can, sure. and it can be more in some instances. So from a practical point of view, that's really hard. And then sometimes if you've got, somebody who is um you know whose time is precious and not everyone's time is precious but who, you know who's, who's mm -hmm. who, who you're in the gift of of their time you know and suddenly you know we had uh david attenborough turn around to us and <gasps> said he didn't like seeing the return feed you know um because it was because there's a slight yeah. delay on the return feed and he found that distracting so you know and with anyone else we'd have done a, a longer setup and we would have kind of been through that in detail but in that instance we had to say okay that's fine. We'll turn it off. And as a result, uh, he's talking to Greta Thunberg yeah. and she can no longer see herself on the return feed. So she starts oh, to get yeah. lower and lower and lower in the frame. And, you know, we created ourselves a post-production nightmare, which we, because we, it was a pre-record, was fine. You know, it was possible and we did it and it looked good. And, you know, we, everything is embedded in graphics, you know, to help it make, you know, to help compensate for the lower picture uh, quality and you know to make it all feel seamless but you know you've got to have control of these things as much as you can in order to get the good result and you've got to put that preparation in so from a practical point of view uh, <laughs> uh, coming back to your question Lucy I think that the you know that that that, that preparation is is probably a, a very very big part of it um, mixing if we've got high, if, if in the case of wild screen hybrid stuff so we've got some people in the studio and some people live then you've got a combination of hardware and software um, which is you know which is a, a, another kind of uh, level of complication so you've got acquisition locally through proper cameras you know hardwired into a, a vision mixer and then that's going into a wow. software based vision mixer for the program yeah I was going to say so you know there's lots of moving parts there plus you've got to get the return back to the people in the studio they've got to be able to hear and see each other and you know everything's got to work seamlessly that end so um so 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 the practicalities of that uh are, are quite challenging and take a lot of figuring out and something alan touched on earlier as well about you know the backup the redundancy mm -hmm. i think we've we've just you know you, you go on a physical shoot and you know you make sure you've got kind of spares of essentials and you make sure that you've you know, if 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 something goes wrong, that you're covered. But when you're doing things remotely, the you know you're just you you know you saying about <laughs> lying awake at night. Well, yeah, lying awake at night. So right, what happens? Okay, so I will buy a really big battery. Okay, what happens? <laughs> you know, so that if the power goes. Okay, so we've got a lease line internet. That's great, but supposing it goes down. Okay, so how can we have a failover for that? And you know, it's it's and 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 what happens if someone drops drops out? You know, all these kind of you're just constantly thinking because yeah. 
you know, the show must go on, mustn't it? So, you you, you know, and, and yeah. it would be catastrophic if things fell over. So you're just <laughs> terrified, <laughs> actually. Um, you yeah. know, that's why I love pre-records and, and you know, because <laughs> I, I just absolutely love it. And you, at least you get a breathing space when, you, when you're broadcasting as well. Live is, you know, is a psychopath's game, really, to come back to the theme of the show. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, I, I, hats off to doing anything live during this time. I mean, that's just... Yeah. Uh, that scares me even just like thinking about it. Well, I still, you know, even though we, we're really kind of seasoned old hands at it now, I'm still sort of terrified for the day it, it, you know, it goes wrong. And, right. and, and, you know, that's not, that's not a pleasurable experience. Um, and I think no, things I, will I get better. Mean. Things will, yeah, I mean, you know, the technology will evolve and it would be great to see, it would be great to see new developments. I was interested, you know, you're doing off camera. We've done quite a lot of remote off camera stuff where maybe the director isn't present. You know, I think that stuff mm -hmm. will continue as well. But I'd love to see a manufacturer bring out something, you know, where you've got a, a screen and a screen with a lens immediately behind it. So we, we rely a lot on auto cues and eye directs and things like that. But to have right. something that's more consumer level where you could have mm -hmm. that face-to-face -face connection, you know, when you talk to someone, I think that's one of the big things, you know, we've all got used to having relationships over a screen, but it's impossible to look at the person you're talking to and look at the camera unless you have a device to do that. So I'd love to see that come into play as something that's more kind of mainstream and and mm. easy to get out to people because um you know talking people through a simple bit of kit is hard talking people through a complicated bit of kit you know that's <laughs> i've oh, got images of you setting it up <laughs> yeah. and then look, watching you all right wait, which cable and you know it, yeah you know so there's no on button yeah, yeah. and and <laughs> these are the obstacles aren't they these are the things that make our life hard yeah. and you know we can we can all get creative and uh, and think of solutions and i and hopefully all this stuff is going to get better and better and better and then the benefits will still be with us and hopefully all the headaches will start to subside yeah yeah and I think maybe because of the past year and the way we've had to change our setups, like you said, this isn't something that's mainstream and consumer, but it's something that brands are now thinking about pushing to the forefront because there's a massive demand for it now. And not just because we're in lockdown, like we've been talking about post lockdown, post pandemic, you know, we're still going to be doing, like you say, uh, Richard, these hybrid productions um, that are going to require this kind of kit. So it could be something I think we're going to see a lot more mm, of. Mm. I mean, we were really lucky with the James Cameron interview to be able to do something at a high quality, you know, with proper cameras remotely yeah. from... It has to be high quality of James absolutely, Cameron. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, full crew his end and, you know... <laughs> <laughs> and kind of skeleton this end, but we they both ends had to look really good, yeah. you know. And and um, uh, but I do think on the flip side of that, people have got used to stuff being not being. You, you say it has to get better. I think actually, you know, you it's amazing still how people turn up to things just looking shocking, you know, uh, in terms of <laughs> in terms of the setup that they think is okay because they're used to jumping on meetings yeah. the whole time, the whole time. And, and, and right. think, you know, it's it, um, kind of maybe I'm going down the wrong path with this. I don't know. But I just think it's so important to get these things right and, and to get these setups and to set a high benchmark and to and to say, yeah, this can it may be remote and we may be challenged and compromised, but it can still look good. And using tools yeah. such as, you know, Alan's fantastic flyaway box and you know and 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 things that that can bring high production values to re remote production i think is critical to differentiating yourself and producing content that is that stands out in the future i think
Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe at the beginning there was like a knee jerk reaction, this rush to get content out. So I think some for some people, for some productions, quality was maybe on the back burner when it was more important, more crucial to get content absolutely out. Right. As time's gone on, what we're noticing is that quality is getting a lot better. Production values are going up and people are starting to care a lot more. I hope so. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully <laughs> this is what we're now going to be yeah. seeing moving forward. Because I don't know about you guys, I am done with watching grainy TV or someone tuning in for an interview and it's just like, oh, the audio is yeah. terrible and the pictures, just, it's, it's doing my head in. <laughs> so I love that you guys are purveyors of Well, that's quality. our job as filmmakers to push for that though, isn't it? You know, to, to, for us to, to be trailblazers yes. and, to, and to show that it can be done, you know, and, and, and to, you know, if, it, the more people start doing things that look and sound good, the more other people are going to feel the need to to, uh, to 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 come along, come along for the ride and to push boundaries themselves. You know, I think that's uh, ultimately where it's where it's yeah. going to go. Yeah. It's here yeah, to stay. Yeah, no doubt, doubt so that's a good that. good uh, note yeah. to end that answer on. For my next question, um, have either of you seen or heard of other interesting approaches to remote production that have been applied in the industry? over the last year. So what are other production companies doing? They could be small, big ones, or even Hollywood. What have you noticed? It was a, there was a good one, um, the Barack Obama interview. I don't know if people saw that, but the, um, which, was, which was a little like the thing we did with James Cameron, but they actually put a virtual, mm -hmm. you know, they put them in the same space. Um, I mean, uh, for me doing that interview, because the because uh, because the contributors, the person interviewing him, Orla and and James knew each other. The fact that they were opposite ends of the world yeah. didn't matter at all, yeah. and it looked fantastic. And they and they had a really good spark between them. So it was electric. It was like I was sitting there for the first time. I was thinking, actually, there's no disadvantage mm -hmm. whatsoever wow. to these people not being in the same room yeah. together. And that was in, that was incredible. But that's hard to achieve, and you've got sure. to have budget for yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, of you know, or at least the the, the resources. Uh, and and I think that the. Uh, um, the the Barack Obama Oprah Winfrey one where they literally had them in seats opposite each other and they were filmed and green screened and put into a room. I thought that that was done well mm -hmm. and I think there could be a future in that. Um, uh, it's been done in sports channels as well where they've done interviews. I think Eurosports, I saw one where they had a, a virtual guest, almost like a hologram. It wasn't a hologram, but you know, but I think that's how they described it. And and it was like they were standing next to each other. So there's more of that happening. I don't think that's necessarily necessary, but it's fun to see. Yeah, and if it it's is, done well, it? you know, yeah. Uh, and, and I think there could be a, a big future in, in, in that for sure. Um, I mean, you... It, you know, if you're doing the if you're doing the recordings over Zoom and making a film, we've just finished a film um, about timber construction, interviewing uh, people all over the world and using nice overlays and things. We've made a film with eleven contributors, uh, and you would say, actually, in the future, if we didn't have to do it this way, being able to talk to those people over over the world, would you ever not choose to do it like this? Because for the experience, for the audience, and the impact of the film, it's actually you know there's very little difference really yeah um i think there'll be, there's going to be space in the future for both for sure i was also done a lot of stuff where the director doesn't mm -hmm. need to be yeah. there you know 
Um, the relationship is one of the big questions. I think that's why I'm obsessed with this kind of looking down the lens thing, because, you know, I think one of the things, you know, if we're making a documentary and Alan, you make documentary as well. And you, you know, the relationship with the contributor is one of the yeah. biggest factors that drives out the content that is going to, you know, that is going to create the magic or whatever, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's all down to that. And that's very difficult to replicate uh, across you know across an internet yeah. line um so i'd be interested to see where that comes i mean if you were going to do a high level feature doc in the future do you need to be there with the person yeah. i think you know how do you mitigate for that barrier and i think that's about the relationship you build beforehand right. as well um so that you can have a connection with somebody that uh, that is intimate mm -hmm. uh, even though you're not in the same physical space yeah, I think that's one of the things that I really appreciated about the the setup days that we'd have with with the subject is just mm. the you know you're doing a task. It's you know it's that it's that relationship you get with somebody as you're you know like in the old days you know when you're setting mm -hmm. up you know for an interview in their home and you're you're getting to see their space. You're you're both mm. engaged in a task, yeah. but there's some some light chit chat mm. and stuff. So so that kind of thing, I think you know even if we were able to cause, you know there's there's these $30,000 a day, you know, remote robots that you can send to somebody's house and it does everything on its own. They just have to plug it in. And, you know, it's quite honestly, it's a little mm. creepy to me, but, um, <laughs> but I'm afraid of robots. Oh, uh, robots are great. But, but that, <laughs> <laughs> you say that now. Um, no, but it's like if you had something like that, there's, you know, the convenience mm -hmm. factor of it is great. You know, the quality can be really good. But you lose that that actual time where you you get to know somebody. You get to know how the cadence with which they talk. And you know, though I wasn't doing the interviews on these, I usually do them on our, our documentaries. Um, I was able to talk to our host and and the you know the other team members uh, from Lucasfilm and say, okay, look, this one, you know, it may take a little more you know pushing to get the answers you want. This one, you're going to have to like you know, we're going to get. I'm a little concerned with how much media we have in the cameras because they're just they're you know they're yeah. talkers. Um, but being able to have that kind of um, uh, you know sort of pre-interview type situation was mm. was really really valuable. And it's something that um, again, if it was if that was a step that I could skip, you know, on the one hand, the uh, you know the stress of setting something up with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing is is great. On the other hand, the benefit of spending that time with them um, yeah. was super invaluable. We're doing one on Friday with someone here with a director of photography here in town, um, and you know we're in talks with them about you know we can set the stuff up in your yard and then you just have to walk it in, or you know we can drop the kit off and you can walk it, you know, talk it through yourself, or we'll talk you you through it. And and I, I kind of hope it goes. You know the way these these other ones have, mm. so we we have that time to yeah. to establish a rapport. Because you meet someone face to face, and the moment you enter the room, mm -hmm. if you're going to interview someone, you're thinking about how yeah. what do I do to get the best out of this exactly. person? Exactly. How do I create that relationship? Exactly. And that's your body language, mm -hmm. everything, the way that you tune into each yeah. other, and that's you know. So, and we're trying to do the same thing now. We're just trying to do it without. <laughs> without having the benefit of physically being in the same yeah. space as someone and, and having all those subtle things that happen mm -hmm. that don't that don't happen yeah, so I easily agree. online so you do need more time right. and and you're doing the same thing you get someone yeah you get someone in the first time you see them on the screen and you know you i think we're, we're all getting better at kind of reading those signals yeah. and and working out 
how to, and people are getting more experienced at being in front of it actually um (laughs) the first time we uh recorded someone face to face and they were quite senior people for a film and we were outside here in bristol in front of the city hall and and they were uh, and they were really struggling they were really struggling to get their words out because they'd spent a year Mm -hmm. talking to people (laughs) over laptops so suddenly they're out in the open with a real camera there or you know a, 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 a professional camera there and they're having to do stuff that before they would have been able to do very very easily you know they were tripping over their words having to start again lots of comments about i'm not usually like this (laughs) you know i should just be able to do this you know so so that's going to be interesting too to see how people come out the other side (laughs) <laughs> now we've got so used to doing stuff <laughs> so based on that you know what <laughs> methods do you think are, are temporary workarounds that are going to fall away when well when we gradually get back to normal and what methods what practicalities do you see staying after the end of the pandemic that's a good question mm. <laughs> you know i i think we'll probably continue to do um remote stuff even here in, yeah. in los angeles i think a lot of people are are getting used to the, the idea of like the comfort of shooting in their own home, but without having a huge yeah. crew in their home. Um, what I do see as being a possibility is, you know, we'll be allowed to actually physically go in and do the setup, um, get everything, you know, ready. And then, you know, we'll either shoot later that day or, you know, the next day or immediately thereafter. Um, but, uh, you know, basically skipping their involvement uh, or intimate involvement in the setup process I see happening. But, but then also I do think that, you know, this is again, going back to budgets. I mean, even with our big studio clients, you know, budget's always an issue and um, the ability to, you know, work with someone's uh, schedule who, you know, filmmakers are all over the place at all given times and being able to send something out and getting them, you know, on camera, uh, it's, it's a great tool to have. Yeah. Um, and also like, you know, having the clients, you know, sort of remoted in on interviews when, you know, mm. which is, I have mixed feelings about, um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I know that was the other thing. I think one of the most stressful things too, is like, while I'm frantically, you know, working through one of these technical issues, I've got six people from Lucasfilm who probably were all sitting there going like, boy, this guy was supposed to be good. And like, we're just, you know, this is like, it's been 15 minutes and, you know, he just, he just keeps telling us just to hang in there because, you know, he's got it under control. And, you know, hopefully they yeah. understood that there, you know, were challenges, but, but they don't, again, when you're on set with a group of people, they see, you know, what you're doing to fix things if there's an issue and, you know, <laughs> you don't have uh, you have the worst part of that audience when yeah, it's just Yeah, absolutely. Remote. I was doing some recording earlier and we had to switch cameras because the camera was cutting the feed out for whatever reason. I don't know why tech just decided to screw mm-hmm. me today. Right. And they couldn't see what I was doing. And I just had to keep narrating because I thought, this is weird. All they can hear is me right. just, you know, doing beavering away in the background. And I just had to kind of narrate what I was doing because <laughs> right. it was a bit weird. It got to about over 10 minutes. And I thought, oh God, I'm not, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm still fixing yeah. wires. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So I, I feel your yep. pain. I know exactly what you mean about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to get out of this with any dignity is, uh, you know, is a challenge and, and a success if you. If I'm a big out. fan of small crews, though. You know, I think that uh, you know that the, it, having time and and less people. I think sometimes, you know, you you can it, the, and some of the tech is so 
good these days. There's so many things that, that can mm -hmm. help us make a shoot easier and lights are so much easier than they used to be. And, yeah. you know, it's been going this way anyway. And I think in some ways it's like, you know, raising the question, do we need yeah. to have, you know, 20 people here? I think is is not a bad question to ask, really. For sure. I think you're right in that, sure. yeah, it was going Smaller that the way better anyway. But I think this has just fast-tracked it. And like you say, it's it's put a real spotlight on is, is all these all these heads in the room necessary? Too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, that kind of thing. And I've certainly been on loads of shoots where I've just seen, it's like, why are there so many people in the room? You know? And so, yeah, I'm I'm with you, Alan. I'm a yep. fan of small mm. crews as well. I think you can get, it's a lot more efficient. Things can, I don't know, mm. just kind of churn along a bit, a bit smoother, I think. It's also more fun. <laughs> you know, the more, the more I'm actually doing, um, even before I was doing a lot of the production side of things, you know, I was, I was producing, I was the interviewer, but I was always, I mean, everything I learned was just from working with our, our directors of photography and cinematographers and, and sound people and helping them yeah, set up, yeah. you know, because I didn't want to just sit there, you know? Um, so the smaller the crew, the more everybody has to pitch in and yeah, it's just, there's more camaraderie. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. And my final question for you guys, are there any things that you've both learned from the last year that you're keen to keep developing? We've touched a bit on it, but if there's anything you'd like to add for the final question, that'd be fab. What I've learned is that, um, you know, when confronted with these, you know, catastrophic changes, um, one of two things will happen. You know, there's a, there's a mass extinction or there's an evolution, you know, and the seeing what not only we did, but what all these other companies did, the different solutions, the solutions that, um, you know, sort of. Uh, converged with the same types of, of, of kits and, and processes um, was really inspiring to see um, the people who, you know, just hunkered down and said, okay, this is a problem. How do we solve it? And the, yeah. the elegance of the solutions um, uh, was, was really inspiring, you know, in a, in a, in a year yeah. of, of less than inspiring events. Well said. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, Richard? Anything you've learned from the last year? Hundred percent. Yeah, I think there's there's probably two sides to that for me. I think the first thing is I've come to realise we're we're working a lot more in the kind of environment, climate change, conservation space than we than we have done previously. It's always been of interest, but and it's always been important to us. But I've realised how much happier i am working very hard when i'm doing something that i really care about and enjoy and yes. i think the whole the whole remote production side of it you know take wild screen for example yeah you know we burnt a lot of electricity here <laughs> preparing for it but all of it probably amounted to less than one person flying to bristol to take part in the festival <laughs> and that mm -hmm. you know to me that is something that i would dearly love to yeah. see continue i don't want to see a world where we all you know jump on planes like buses again um because we can't yeah. and i hope that continues and and i think Absolutely. this is really give us an opportunity to do that let's not just go back to the way things were let's rethink and 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 go forward in yes. a better way and the second part of it yeah. i think for me is you know just to keep exploring the tech i'd really like to kind of push the high end it's really interesting listening to alan to try and push the high end stuff when you've got the opportunity to i'd like to sort of do some nice high quality remote contributor interviews in in some documentary content that would you know that you can be proud of and and to achieve the sorts of things that you could achieve face to face doing that remotely i think would be a lovely challenge to kind of really kind of 
grapple with we're we're also experimenting with other technologies wireless cameras and you know and things for future mm-hmm. for events production uh for fast setup and being nimble and you know just being uh, yeah. being able to respond to whatever the world throws at us as, as we've all learned <laughs> you know uh, stuff can come when you don't expect it and uh and you kind of respond, survive or die, basically. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Without putting too fine a yeah. point on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh my god, um, Richard, I think that's a fantastic note to end this brilliant podcast on. Um, Alan, Richard, you, I want to thank you so so much for yeah. sharing your not only incredible stories, really inspiring stories as well. I love how you've come out of the pandemic winning. It might not have felt that way at the beginning, <laughs> but, you know, now almost a year later, you're feeling confident and everything's going super well. And I love that you're purveyors of high quality remote setups as well. More of that. I definitely want to see more of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to you thank out you. there, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you're interested in finding out more about this fascinating subject, why not check out our episodes on live streaming with Clive Booth and filmmaking in lockdown. Both are available in the Shutter Stories feed. All that's left to say is, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate and subscribe in the episodes listing. If you have any thoughts or feedback on today's episode or the podcast as a whole, why not reach out to us on social media? You'll find our details in the description below. We'd love to hear from you.